to No Names All Game. All right, guys. Welcome back to No Names All Game, your go-to fan Penn State football podcast. I stress that always because at the end of the day, we are fans of this football team. We are not journalists. We are not experts, but we're a couple of guys that love Penn State football, love watching Penn State football, and love telling you guys what we think about it. I am Pat Calicchio, and with me again is my co-host, Dan Sweeney. How are you doing today, Sweens? Pat, can't complain coming off of a three-day weekend when Penn State gets a win at home, and the atmosphere was great. All the different pieces were, were there for us to talk about, and I am, I'm feeling good. Absolutely. That's what I love to hear. Did you go to the game? I was not at the game. No, no, no. That was uh, that was from a lot of people I knew that were at the game. So I was getting hit over the head with Snap stories, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it could be, uh, getting sent my way from from tailgating. But uh, you know, you get the feeling you're there at times when when you get that many people with that much energy. Yeah, I am always jealous when I see all the Instagram stories and everything of everyone at the games. It's been a long time since I've been back to Beaver Stadium. It's just. I got to tell you, I love State College, but it is not an easy place to get to from California. I was going to say, you have a much better excuse than I do. Mine's mine's technically could be uh, it could be a couple of plane jumps. It could be a train and a car. It could just be a car. You've got you've got a little further of a way. So your your excuse is a little better than mine for being there in person. These days. Yeah, that, that that State College Airport is not one that you get a lot of local <laughs> flights to. Um, and they are they are not cheap if you can find them. And then no, I'm, I'm sure, you know, game day accommodations, not exactly uh, on the cheaper end either. Now, you're better off knowing a landlord if you want to go up for one of these games at this point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But at the end of the day, all that really matters is Penn State comes out the 38 to 15 victor. My uh, my final score prediction, I got to say pretty close. I got our total right. Um, I, I, you know, sorry, I thought we wouldn't let up a touchdown and a two point conversion. <laughs> with the backups in. Uh, but at the end of the day, Sweens, your bets are the ones that cash. You had Penn State and you had the over. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, watching the uh, ring around the rosy go for the two-point conversion. And then, of course, the very fun and very somehow controversial final score from Penn State on the backdoor cover uh, was was fun to watch. There's a lot going on conversation-wise about it. I'm just going to come out and say it. I think it's honestly ridiculous when you have a team like Oregon putting up 81 points on an FCS opponent, and this was a Power 5 matchup. West Virginia knows that we're looking at playoff or bust this year in a lot of ways. How could you not expect teams, even when you put in their next set you know, for your twos and, and everybody else to not come out? And we weren't throwing 50-yard bombs. I mean, they're running the offense inside. They're keeping the clock running. It's it's just a that's a combination of how much game do you have left plus what can your defense muster? And I, I think it's a pretty ridiculous conversation, honestly. Yeah, there, there's two groups of people who are upset about this. There's people who hate Penn State and people who lost money on Penn State. Those are the <laughs> only two people who are upset. And I think Neil Brown's comments are really being overblown. Like, would, would, you, would you want him to be happy that we scored with exactly. six seconds left? No, he's going to be a little salty about it, whatever. But he's not going on about it nearly as much as I think people are acting like he did. He made right. one comment, and it was because he was asked. You know, not a big deal. Um, and I didn't have an issue with either one of what happened. I didn't have an issue with them going for two because mm -hmm. improbable though it may be, it did put them exactly two scores back. And listen, if you're Neil Brown and then and you you don't go for two there, 
you get seven, you recover the onside kick, you have some miracle play where you score a touchdown, and then you're down two scores anyway. Like then you look like an idiot. So yeah, go go for two. What it's football, you know? Yeah, and then, I, I got no. <laughs> yeah. And then James Franklin's been bit before by not having backups who were ready to play in big situations. He's learned from that. He is not going to let it happen again. And, you know, do I think maybe there's a part of him that likes covering the spread? Sure. I think, you know, he's a gamer. With core value, compete in everything you do. He's not going to let his foot off the gas. It is not, I, I don't think it has much to do with the spread. Is like he sets a tone for this program that every moment you're out there, you're trying to play football to the best of your ability. I mean, he called a touchdown against Georgia State, what was it, like three years ago. <laughs> I called the timeout and like iced That's their right. kicker because we didn't have the right personnel in. But that is how he runs this program. Like, you do everything perfectly. Yeah, I think people also forget that. The the backups, so to speak, that are coming in in the college world, these are guys that some of them may have been two or three stars. Some of them are are really trying to make a name or, or find their place on a team like this. Not every single player is a five-star waiting in the wing that's going to get their opportunity the next year. I mean, these guys got to take chances to put something on film because now that you have the portal, you also have guys taking opportunities when they don't see a starting role coming up. They need to go give these other coaches some film. And yeah, practice film and going out and working out for them is great. But if you can put something on film like your rushing prowess for Bo or or, you know, taking it to you know the outside and showing that you can put your shoulder down in a run for some other you know a running back, it's it's a really great way to say, hey, I just didn't get the opportunities as much as these other guys, but I can still play and hear some evidence of that. And I, I think that goes under the table sometimes for people who think it's like the NFL when these guys are already being paid. They already have something on the table. You know, they're already there. They've known backups. That's their job. That's not the case here. These are young guys who want to be on a starting team at some point, whether that's Penn State or elsewhere. And I think you can't you can't really take that away from them either. Yeah, 100%. And for some of these guys, say you're a backup who's a redshirt sophomore. You might not have seen a live rep in a football game in two years. You know? Exactly. And like, you're going from being probably the best player your high school has ever seen to not having played <laughs> a football game for two years. Like, it's important to get these guys live reps in football games. Exactly. Yeah. I think, like you said, it's it's being blown out of proportion. It was an asked, directed question. And I think it's all said and done. You move on from this and and no one's really going to talk about the storyline at all. You just get you, everyone loves week one, just overhyped antics and craziness. So it was on for a hot second. And I think everyone's going to move forward. Exactly. I agree. It, it's a non-issue now. It'll be a, a, even less of an issue later. Um, but what we really care about is how this team performed week one. Um the only award we're giving out is going to be our our prestigious Lion Award. Who was the Lion of this game? Dude, for me, it was Drew Aller. I mean, 325 yards, completed like 70% of his passes, three touchdowns. He did exactly what I said he wouldn't do, which was put up monster stats. He carried this offense. Not that the running game was bad, but this offense ran through Drew Aller today. It was not something that I expected in his first start. Um and he lived up to every bit of hype that he's had coming into the season as the five-star quarterback, as the Messiah for this program, as maybe something like this program has never really had, which is a dominant QB. Drew Aller, I think, is this week's lion for me. What about for you, Sweeney? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to argue with Aller. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say he wouldn't also be mine if we were if we were doubling up. But I'll give you one from the other side of the ball. 
I think that Curtis Jacobs can get my line on on this week and on the defensive side. I think he stood strong as a veteran representative on the defense. I think though they had their ups and downs, he played a really solid game overall. I think you saw him starting to take some charge, directing a lot of guys around and trying to get everything straight on the defensive side. He had a sack. Uh, you know, led the team in tackles by a pretty decent margin, actually. And when I went back, I didn't even realize it was almost double anybody else on the team. Um, just just stood out as a guy that's going to be really solid throughout the year. Is going to make some big plays like he did and is going to bring along a lot of the younger guys as they get used to game speed and everything else on the field. So I, I was really excited to see Jacobs kind of show that veteran presence and then also make some of the splash plays that, that we know he can make um, all over the field. Yeah, I, I I think that's a great call and kind of an under-the-radar one. Curtis Jacobs had a hell of a game for a unit that, you know, performed solid as a team, but there were not a lot of uh, outstanding individual efforts, I would say, out of the defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I don't think the secondary got much of a chance to do anything too loud. And there was no one else really putting up stats, but Curtis Jacobs did it. Stat wise, he did it visually. Like you watched that game, you went, This guy's having a game, which is yep. not easy to do as a defender all the time if you're not, you know, turning the ball over and doing stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought he really, not, and not in any way that the defense had a bad game, but I thought he really held that defense and that defensive front together through what was, you know, the bumps and bruises of a week one you're playing maybe a team that's not as good as you, but a power five opponent, an actual football Mm -hmm. team. Yeah. Yeah. You just felt that something else. We'll talk a little bit more about the chaos that that was starting to happen a little bit because you get a team that you don't really know as much about. And they start, they start just throwing everything out there because you can, they can sense that this might, they run away from them. And it's a guy like Curtis Jacobs that steps up and say, Hey guys, like, let's just, Let's calm it back down. Let's make sure we're just sticking to what we know how to do. And that's going to, you know, that's going to pull us through this game regardless. And I think it was good to see that week one coming out and showing that he is a leader on this defense. hundred percent, hundred percent, a well-earned defensive line from Curtis Jacobs. Now I think every college football game comes with its own surprises, but especially week one where you don't know what you're coming into from either your team side or your opponents as much as you will later on in the season. Sweens, what surprised you in a good way this week? Yeah, I guess this actually tails off of exactly what I was just talking about. And I I really liked the defensive adjustments that happened well into the second quarter, but specifically into the second half of the game. Um, You know, you look at the score and you look at the final pieces and some of the yardage and everything else, and there's going to be a ton of questions that that pop up around the defense. But, I mean, they really let up the one score in the two-point conversion late into the fourth quarter when they were rotating in guys. They played a much tighter game down the stretch where they didn't have any massive miscues like they did in the first. And they started to find their rhythm to the point where you never felt like they were really getting – any advantages from the West Virginia offense, um, you know, throughout the second half, especially. So I like the adjustments. I like that they were able to still rotate in personnel, still get some guys on the field, start rotating in nickels and, you know, and, and see what they have with those guys. But uh, yeah, the adjustments definitely, I don't know, I guess surprised is maybe not something I'd like to use for adjustments, but in-game adjustments in the second half, definitely something I was happy to see. And maybe I was a little bit, the, the quickness of it probably was the surprise. Yeah, and I mean, listen, that has been a criticism of this coaching staff is at times a lack of in-game adjustments. Whether that is warranted and fair or not, it has been a criticism from the fan base. Um, and, I, you know, I'm with you. There were a couple of times in that first half, you know, you had the 
what looked to be a blown coverage by Dom DeLuca. Um, and then Kalen King also got away with, I think got kind of caught in like a hurry up offense and a receiver got way behind him. And we got lucky that he dropped that ball. Uh, but th- that didn't seem to happen in the second half. Like you, you saw them pull out a couple of what turned out to be very questionable trick plays. But at the end of the day, those trick plays were only questionable because Penn State's defense stayed home on those. Right. They did not right. get fooled. The defensive backs didn't bite. The linebackers stayed in their correct drops. They didn't just, you know, run to the ball thinking it was a run play. Because mm-hmm. that that's the nature of the trick play. If it works, you're a genius. And if it doesn't, <laughs> it looks very foolish. And Penn State's defense kind of, yeah, overcame those first game, first half jitters and made West Virginia look stupid on those trick plays. Yeah, I mean, that's a sign of players knowing their responsibilities and not feeling pressured into having to overcommit to to something because you think you see it and can and can stop it. And versus just saying, hey, we'll play our defense regardless. We're pretty confident that no matter what they throw at us, even if it's a trick play, we'll be good to go. And I I was happy to see that. Yeah, I agree. Um, You know, thing that surprised me in a good way, and I kind of touched on it in my line award, is how much they really let Drew open up in this game. I have. You know, admittedly did not think it was going to be happening. I thought this was going to be a run first game. I thought they were going to pound Singleton and Catron up the middle, soften this defense and let let them run wild. And that that is not what happened by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination. Um, the offense, while at no point did I think it looked bad, it didn't look explosive those first couple of drives until they let Drew, like, you know, I mean, other than the first pass that he threw, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it looked like they were really committing to the run game for a lot, for the first few drives of that game. And then as soon as they went, no, we're, we're going to be a pass team today. Man, the offense yeah. I thought was really humming. Yeah, I loved that they started to look for individual matchups that they felt were going to benefit them the most. Um, they started to run some of those wide screens where they had one to Warren, one to Singleton. I think McCain had one on the edge too, where they just they just had Drew put it on a rope to the sideline, which is what we know he can do. He you know catch and just beam it out there, and then let the guys beat their guys one on one, which they had the advantage on them size, speed, pretty much all day. And those were going for eight, nine, ten a pop. It was almost automatic first downs for some of those. And I love that they put that on Drew to just start to schedule. You know, look at the field, figure out where his matchups were and then get after it and it started to look almost easy I mean they had him rolling out they had him in the pocket they had him everywhere and he was finding guys left and right now it wasn't like you said he wasn't throwing 50 60 yard bombs every play but he was scanning I mean he was at second third and fourth reads regularly across some of those drives yeah and the kind of the talk not just from our fan base but the college football world at large about Penn State coming to the season is this is going to be a team whose strength is their run game. They've got a quarterback who might be good, but man, they've got a couple of dangerous, great running backs and they're going to pound that. And that is, you know, this offense ran through Drew Alichai and it was not just an effort of like some dominant wide receivers either. Nine different guys had, had catches in that game. Drew Aller didn't just manage that offense. He didn't just kind of navigate it through a win. He dominated that game. Yeah, it was it was great to see. They have total confidence in him running the offense, calling audibles, making the shifts as needed. 
Um, and he stood in there and look, you got to see him do everything, right? He took some licks. He got, he got hit a couple of times in there. I'm going to talk about that a little later, but um, it's, it's great to kind of see the, the full gamut of everything and, and him kind of coming out of it feeling good. He almost was a little bit giddy, a little bit this and that, just because it's, it's just getting out there for that first time and feeling like, Hey, I, I can do this. I can handle this. And it's going to be fun. Yeah. And, and making those calls and adjustments at the line of scrimmage too, was big to see, you know, the stuff that we weren't sure he'd be better at than Sean Clifford. You know, that, that, that's, that's where Sean Clifford really excelled. And we all knew Drew's got more mm-hmm. arm talent, but th- these are the kind of things that Sean really, is really good at. Is Drew going to be able to do that too? And he, like, as far as week one went, he showed that he absolutely could. Uh, let, let the conversation begin, Pat. Is it because he sat behind Clifford for a full year to learn? Clearly it's, it's or is Aaron it because Rogers it was effect. always there? It was the, the Aaron always Rogers there. effect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Sean Clifford truther. I, I will be on the Sean Clifford train for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love it. We'll, How we'll have, quickly we'll we forget debates. what that offense looked like when it was being run in 2021 by someone other than Sean Clifford. That's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but. With the good surprises, there's also going to be some bad surprises. Sweens, what surprised you in a negative way for this game? Yeah, touched on it really quickly. Um, I was very much so upset about the O-line miscues. Now, we talked about how the O-line's got some shifts going on, um, and they, they had to replace uh, you know later than they would normally like to, and, and we're just going to have to mesh a little bit. But I mean, we saw them miss some pretty easy pass blocking assignments where you just had a guy come untouched up the middle of the line and put Drew immediately under pressure. You had some guys that were coming around on a slightly delayed blitz that they just didn't pick up at all. I mean, it was it was a little ugly at times knowing that West Virginia doesn't really have anything close to an elite pass rush and them getting some free releases coming through. And we held in, you know, Warren and Johnson at times to help in the pass blocking. And against a team like that, you wouldn't expect them to have to do that. So I was a little upset that, uh, especially on the pass blocking front, as well as Drew did, I mean, he had to do a lot of pocket movement, a lot of navigation to make those plays happen. And as much as that's great to see, you would like to feel like they're not having as many issues against a team like West Virginia uh, in the in the beginning of the season, at least. Yeah, and we, we were texting about this a little bit during the game. It was frustrating to watch because it seemed like Anytime West Virginia pulled out even the most basic trick, yeah, like like a delayed blitz or a stun, mm-hmm. that it it just it it fooled. It worked. The it worked. Off. Like With the guy would just come free. <laughs> yeah, and I mean like, Drew. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. He got away a couple of them too. Obviously he got a couple off, but I mean, he took some shots on from guys coming completely free and he took them and he got up and he's, he's built really sturdily. So, so it's great to see that, but you don't love seeing your, your first game starting quarterback who's trying to get into his rhythm, getting thrown on his butt because a center completely misses a twist stunt coming across his face. I mean, that's just, that's a tough look. Yeah, or a, a guard double team someone and delayed blitz comes <laughs> right through. Like it's it was frustrating, right. um, especially with all the talk that this was finally going to be a strength of the team. <laughs> frustrating. Did you jinx it? it again, Pat? We we, yeah, we I, don't know yet. <laughs> I I went on record as saying I will believe it when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, my my negative surprise for the game comes. On the opposite side of the ball, but in the same same area of the field, 
and that is the the defensive front. Um, it wasn't so much that it was a bad game from them. You saw a lot of success, I think, running the football from the quarterback position. So mm-hmm. you're seeing a little bit of an overblown Penn State not being able to stop the run. But I was upset that there there were not as many havoc plays mm-hmm. as I would have expected playing against a team that we were better than. Now, right. granted, West Virginia's offensive line was better than I expected and is probably going to be one of the better offensive lines we see this year, led by a very, very good center. But, I mean, this was a this was a, a defensive front, and especially a defensive end group that I, again, the, the talk of the offseason, these guys are going to dominate. Mm-hmm. These We've got first-round talent on that defensive end. And it just, it didn't really, there wasn't, you know, I think two of the three sacks were on those trick plays, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we had a sack from Curtis Jacobs, a sack from Dom DeLuca, and one from Abdul Carter. We don't have a single sack from a defensive end. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I had predicted that I thought they were going to be a lot more effective and you were going to see them almost grabbing back of uh, back of jersey almost every time that living in the back drops back exactly um you know I, I did go back and watch some of the clips that you know you get people breaking them down and you start to see them there was a couple of uh potential misses on chop uh where he was around the edge and there was some uh there was some full shoulder grabbing going on so i think that that you know it's it's first game you know hiccups and, and you have different opportunities that maybe just didn't get there and when you go back and look at it you actually realize there was a ton of pressure and green was just running out of the pocket immediately which made it look like he was running an open field um but yeah you would have liked to see uh maybe a, maybe a forced fumble or close to one uh maybe some tip balls that that get into the air because you're dealing with a QB that's kind of a, a bit of a gunslinger and you can get in those passing lanes he's not that hard to read honestly because he was going first and second read for the most part it wasn't really full field scan so I, I agree with you on that um hopefully to get back to the drawing room and realize there was a lot of missed opportunities quite honestly um you know guys flying in at way too fast on bad angles uh, you know, where Carter just kind of had him in the backfield and just slipped because he took a step to the left type of thing. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how they adjust, but I, I'm not, I'm not worried, worried yet. Cause it was a good line. Uh, but yeah, would have liked to see a little bit more um, just, just made it feel like they were really struggling to contain these guys versus that it was a battle every play. Yeah. And I don't classify it as a worry as much as just like, I really thought it was going to be a great performance from that defensive front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did not see a no turnover game coming here. Yeah. Uh, not what I would have predicted. Um, and a, a lot of times those turnovers, that, that's exactly where they start in the defense mm-hmm. front with pressure, with hits on the QB. And it just it didn't seem like we were really getting home with a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when teams get down, you start to take more risks. Um, I, they kind of stuck to a game plan in, in a way. So they actually didn't really try to go way over the top and try to get back in the game as quickly as maybe some other teams would. So that can always play a factor into it. But yeah, it would have been good to see at least even a close, you know, tip ball or a close interception. And it just felt like uh, you know, the defense wasn't causing that actively. And it would have had to happen just because of a bad play on the offensive side, which you you want it to be forced. You want an active play to make one of those you know mistakes happen from the other side. Exactly. And, you know, Listen, we, we like to predict things, we, how everything is going to go down every week. 
So with, with the unexpected is hopefully usually going to come the things that you do expect as well. Now, for me, that was Keandre Lambert-Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to mention it during last episode, but I did go on record on Twitter saying that I am all over the KLS hype train. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy who last season, for the most part, didn't show us as much as we had wanted. And then we had found out that he had been hurt for a lot of the season and then explodes yeah. in that Rose Bowl game. Yeah. Um, and it, it feels like a lot of, for most of my, most of James Franklin's tenure, there has been points where there we had a main pass catcher, that guy graduates, and then we go, all right, who's going to step up? You know, KJ Hamler did it. Jahan Dotson did it. We didn't have too much of it last season. It was pretty spread out. This mm-hmm. season, I, I thought it was going to have to be and, and that it would be Keandre Lambert-Smith. And he's showing me, I think he's showing this fan base. He is that guy. Four receptions, 123 yards and two touchdowns. It doesn't get much better than that. I think he is going to, I don't know if he's going to be like a Jahan Dotson, you know, massive target share kind of guy. Mm-hmm. But he's going to be a guy who gets four to six receptions a game. And I think puts up big numbers with those. I'm going to, I'm predicting him going over a hundred yards for a lot of these games. Yeah. I, I I'll do you one better, Pat add a possible 50 yard touchdown. When he torched that slot corner on that slant drew through it a little bit low, which I think you give him 10 out of 10 times. He makes that nine out of 10 times. He puts it right on him. And Lambert Smith, you know, catches that nine out of 10 times and he's gone. There was no one in the open field. Safeties were all pulled out and they were coming full blitz and he toasted him and there was nobody there. So that stat line could be five catches, 170 yards and three touchdowns, given that 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 play happens another nine times. So I I think he looked great. I think he nobody was covering him, honestly, one on one. And I think he's he's going to be a great go to target for Drew. Um, and, and you have to imagine that when you have guys like McLean and you have guys like Cephas coming in, trying to learn the offense and get used to it, it's better to not put them in a position to have to be the number one wide receiver. It's, it's much better to have a guy that knows the system, that's familiar with your quarterback, that is familiar with your coaching staff, actually step up and then let those other guys come in and make the impact plays like McLean's touchdown, um, you know, or like Cephas making that really nice grab he had in, in the open field. And it allows your offense to build versus forcing one of those guys into being a massive target share when they're not as comfortable. And it's great to see KLS just kind of take off right away. He's been calling it since that he he felt like he was kind of being underappreciated when they do returning wide receiver rankings and all that stuff that you do leading up to the season. And I think it was a great first step for him to, to kind of prove that is, uh, is wrong. I couldn't agree more now. Yeah. What went the way you expected it to this week? Yeah. Um, you know, we had talked about it and our predictions were slightly different. You really didn't feel like Penn State's defense was going to give up much in terms of the points area. Um, and I, you know, I look at it and say it was really only seven. They gave up seven meaningful points and it was on the drive when they had that massive DB miscue and they just let, uh, you know, they let Clark uh, kind of get behind them and, and catch it. Honestly, better throwing ball is probably a touchdown on its own. 
But regardless, that was really the only drive that they let them get into the deep red zone and then allowed up that touchdown and, and kind of made it happen. The rest of it, yeah, it was a, it was some mistakes. It was bend. They gave up, you know, those scrambles and they let Green kind of get in there. But a lot of the times they made the stops when they needed to. They held him on fourth down a couple of times. They made some key plays on third down that pushed him out of range for field goals and, and forced a punt or forced something else. And that's really good to see because that means that you can let up those kind of crazy plays. You can let up some some over the middle shots or a run that kind of takes you off guard and then you can lock back down again. And I was happy to see that that went the way I expected out of this defense, which is there's going to be some bend. There's going to be this, but ultimately they're going to come up with enough impact plays to to really hold teams from staying in the game longer than than they should in this case. Couldn't agree more. It wasn't the overwhelming dominance that I think a lot of us were expecting or hoping for, where it just like it was shut down on every drive. But at the end of the day, a power five opponent comes in and scores seven points off your starting defense in three mm-hmm. and a half quarters, basically. Right. Can't get too upset about that. Exactly. You're, you're nitpicking at that point, right? <laughs> 100%. And, you know, we've talked a lot about like how we feel for much of this game. What happened in this game that like you're just you're not sure how to feel about? Yeah, I, I go back to the defensive side. You already kind of touched on the front seven. Um, I, I don't know how to feel quite yet about our full defensive back yeah. rotation. Um, you know, we got our guys, uh, you know, with with, with Kalen King and um, you know, Johnny Dixon kind of locking down the other side. He played pretty well, but but there was definitely some interesting rotation in the D-backs and, and you could see that confusion in the first half. They, they cleared up some of it in the second half, but there was still the occasional kind of wide open patches um, that, that they were finding some really, you know, kind of chunk games that you just kind of felt like the DBs just weren't communicating as well as we've seen in the past. I think it's going to get cleaned up. I think it's going to be a lot better. And again, this was a very non-traditional offense in some ways. So there's there's going to be some more defined film for other teams down the line when I think they're going to be a little bit better off. But it still kind of leaves you feeling like, might they continue to make adjustments? Who are they going to roll in and, into some of the other spots when they go five DBs um, or even six when they're running kind of a dime package? Are we going to keep our safeties the same? Are we going to start to roll guys in? So there's just a little bit of uncertainty there for me. Um, we know who the the main guys are, but um, we'll, we'll be interesting to see how they, they kind of rotate throughout the season. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think Sometimes as fans, we lose sight of the fact that just because you have two great cornerbacks doesn't mean that every pass isn't going to be completed. Right. Um, <laughs> and there there were certainly a few a few open looks where like, listen, a better passer puts put yeah. some yards on that <laughs> in a yes. couple of spots there. Yeah. Right, right. So it's a good game to have those miscues, honestly, and to go back and be like, okay, we got to clean up these rotations. We got to clean up when we're shifting from a high two down to a cover zero or whatever we're disguising. It's a, it's a good chance to make those mistakes because you didn't really get the payoff from the other side nearly as much as a couple of the QBs that we're going to see in the in the next you know couple of weeks even would would make you pay for. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Now for me, like the thing I just I don't know how to feel about is the lack of production from the tight end room. Uh, you you kind of touched on the fact they got kept in to block more often than probably mm-hmm. we would have liked. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, from the entire tight end room, one, tar- one catch for nine yards. Mm-hmm. We were hearing a lot about these guys and how good they are and, you know, what a threat they're going to be, you know, kind of going up the seams in the middle of the field. And 
from a offensive production standpoint, basically a non-factor in this game. Now, I don't know if I can really say I'm upset about that because they didn't have to be either. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to come out and be like, Winston, we scored 38 points, but the tight ends, where were the <laughs> tight ends? Um, yeah. But it, it's one of those things that going forward, you 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 now have to keep your eye on. Like, mm-hmm. they were considered to be the most probably rock-solid, confident part of the receiving game was our tight end. Right, game. right. And the next few weeks, basically, until we play Iowa, I think everyone's going to be looking, all right, how are the tight ends producing going forward? Yeah, it was interesting. We also had the uh, the one that that Aller put on a rope to Warren that he just couldn't keep his feet in. It was a gorgeous throw. He bobbled it and just kind of couldn't couldn't hold on to it enough, which would have added maybe what another fifteen or twenty yards. But even with that, say that that catch happens, um, yeah, still from from both of those two guys who were well versed in the offense, they move all over the the field, right? They shift into screen positions and they go out into the slot. I mean, they're getting put into different positions, so you'd, you'd think that they'd, they'd start to tick up in production just because of the size mismatch they bring on a lot of these linebackers who, quite frankly, in this game, I expected them to get beat very badly um, just, just from the lack of experience and the size mismatch. Felt like it could be a really big opportunity, but you, you do look at it and you say, well, they kept him into block. They ran him on a lot of interesting schemes where they were blocking for screens too. I think, I think it was uh, Johnson that had a really nice block on that Liam Clifford screen um, where he came back on the inside. I think Johnson might've put someone on his butt. Um, so they're, they're being used. They're all over the field. They're playing well. Um, but it's, it's just one of those things where maybe one game, they both go over, you know, 50 or they combine for, for more than a hundred. And then other ones, they're more like this, where they're doing a lot of blocking downfield, a lot of interior pass blocking, and they're just doing what's asked of them. Uh, sometimes that's, that's what the tight end position is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like I said, I, it's not uh, anything I'm alarmed about yet, but it's something that confuses me emotionally. We'll say. <laughs> uh, I know, like it. Overall, what were your feelings on this game? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to what I said at the beginning of the season was that this defense could be top five, top three, top two in the country. The hype was ridiculous. Uh, every little thing is going to get nitpicked. We already did it a little bit just during our conversation, but it's happening all over the place. Can the run defense stop Michigan is already being put out there, right? You're already going to see these run lanes are too big and Michigan's going to gut us. And I was having those about, nightmares during that game. So <laughs> I it's get about, it. But it's about balance, right? You got to balance it. They ultimately, they let up seven meaningful points. They let up 15 at the end of the game, but it was, it was a, you know, it was a mixture of who was in and who was not in. And Honestly, they let up what maybe two plays we would consider true explosive plays. Usually that's more than about 20 yards downfield. Not a lot of those. Um, they got to get better tackling. They got to, they got to just got to bring, you know, bring guys down on the, on the first and second guy instead of the fourth or fifth for some of these, but it's going to be a balance all year. And until they get a true shutout, which who knows, maybe Iowa, uh, <laughs> It's it's gonna be it's gonna be questioned because Delaware is not gonna give you much and and you're you're gonna continue to get questions about the legitimacy of it until they until they go up against an offense that that is respectable that people are gonna have more to go off of from previous games and say can they really shut this down or do they still have the gaps that some are gonna call them out for? Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, end of the day, this is week one. There's gonna be miscues. There's gonna be stuff that goes wrong. But yeah, you you do want to see some running lanes that aren't as big. You want to see, mm-hmm. you know, a guy like Abdul Carter playing a little more under control, maybe yeah. not getting washed out in the kind of like 
flow of the play sometimes because he's committing too hard to a read, things like that, that most likely will figure themselves out. But again, you got to watch for it. Absolutely. Uh, I, uh, end of the day, you know, I, I felt good about this game. I would, were there things that were frustrating at times? Sure. I was frustrated at the end of the first half. Um, <laughs> but I was happy with the way the offense looked. I'm mm-hmm. I'm hearing a lot of takes of like, you know, I, is this the offense that Mike Yersich wants to run? Does he want to run a pass first offense? And earlier, like, is, is the identity of this offense going to be now, you know, pass, pass first through Drew Allen? And I, I don't agree with that. I think the identity of Penn State's offense is, we're going to take whatever you give us. And mm-hmm. now we're good enough that we can exploit whatever it is you give us. Yeah. Because I I think I, I, from what I saw, and I think most people would agree the beginning of that game, Penn state tried to commit to being a running team. Yeah. But West Virginia put most of its resources on making sure we could not explode in the run game. And the running backs were by no means bad. They both averaged like five yards a carry but they mm-hmm. weren't dominating. They weren't right. turning the game. Um, and then when West Virginia kind of said, well, we know those two guys are good, but we're not sure this quarterback is that good. So we're going to make mm-hmm. him beat us. Yeah. And Mike Yersich turned around and went, all right, well, he'll beat you then. <laughs> and that is what happened. And I, I think that is what this team is going to be. Whatever you decide to try to exploit, that's how we're going to beat you. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you unless you have some sort of absolute smash type of game, or you have a you know a, f- a future possible kind of MVP of the NFL level player, which he may or may not be, right? But usually, the teams that are going to go the furthest can adjust either way. They can play what the other teams play, and they can damage you on the ground. They can go through the air. They can they can make things happen no matter what is being put in front of them. And it's funny, right? Because Say that Singleton breaks one more tackle and he takes one sixty-five yards. The rushing totals get all flipped on their heads. The, the, you know the totals of the. All right, guys, we got cut off briefly by our uh, gracious tech overlords at Zoom, <laughs> uh, so we will wrap this one up briefly for you, Sweens. You were finishing up a thought about kind of the identity of this Penn State offense. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I think that it's great to see that no matter what, they're going to be able to adjust to it. You've got a guy in Aller who's making active adjustments in-game, plus a coaching staff that has a trust on both sides of the ball, that they can give it to Singleton, they can give it to Katron, or they can put it in Drew's hands, and good things are going to happen. And they they just they seem to really have a confidence there, and they never once looked like that they were panicked or rushed to try to take some over-the-moon shot or do something that wasn't going to be consistent with how they wanted to run the offense all year and i i think that's a great sign and i'm, I'm looking forward to it evolving because this is just the first first step in what this team's going to look like yeah absolutely and end of the day all that matters penn state comes out with a 38 to 15 victory covers the spread for Beautiful. all of us fans at home <laughs> um you know we normally do a kind of preview of the next upcoming game but due to you know combination of let's say the long weekend and uh, the quality <laughs> of the upcoming upcoming opponent. I think we're just going to do a short one here. Delaware offensive powerhouse, Delaware just coming off a <laughs> 37 to 13 victory over Stony Brook. Uh, they do have a quarterback who just threw for about 350 yards 
a running back who ran for 100 yards and two touchdowns, 10 yards a clip, but their QB also threw two interceptions. And uh, yeah, also they're Delaware and we're Penn State. <laughs> so Penn State by by 500, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you obviously see that everyone in, in almost all of college football, save maybe Notre Dame, right, uh, likes to play at least one uh, lower competition, have them come in and, and just make the money. It's great to get those guys onto the field. It's great to have them come in and I think experience the environment. Um, you know, I uh, as a Philly native, Delaware was always right down the road for me. I got a chance to uh, go there actually quite often. We used to play them. They were one of our rivals in rugby uh, back in the day. So I was I was down in uh, in Delaware a lot. Blue Hens. Um, it'll be it'll be great to have them up. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's one of those games where you just no one gets injured. That is like the the bottom line for a lot of these. Um, you just you just want to make sure that everyone comes in and comes out. Uh, in, in a healthy manner to be quite honest exactly you know let, let's sure up all those miscues and little issues that we had last week before we're moving on to a you know higher quality opponent and make sure the backups are in by the beginning of the third quarter i think that's always the the hope right and i i like you uh you know you know two interceptions i'd like to get one of those turnovers this week i think that'd be nice to have have one in the back pocket get that differential into the uh into into the negative side for for Penn State to uh you know to be looking at at something where that is definitely a goal for this defense and not that you like to rack up your turnovers in a game like Delaware but at the same time uh you know let's let's show that they can find a nose for the ball that a couple of these guys want to get after it and uh yeah get them get them on the right track and feeling really really good heading into the rest of the season exactly pad those stats this week boys and <laughs> now at the end of the day Come out with another W, another impressive W. Um, but, you know, Sweens, thanks for coming on, sharing all your thoughts. Um, and thank you guys for making us your go-to Penn State football fan podcast. We are. We are, baby.